Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, safe ways to celebrate Halloween during a pandemic, a preview of the Salvation Army's Red Kettle campaign, and Gopher head football coach P.J. Fleck talks about an important new program at the U. But first, a new survey of members of Education Minnesota found high levels of stress and anxiety among educators during COVID-19. I recently spoke with Education Minnesota President Denise Speck about this troubling trend. We surveyed more than uh, 9,700 educators um, that are Education Minnesota members all across the state between September 23rd and October 5th. And two things surfaced. One is about 30% of the people taking the survey are thinking about quitting or retiring. That's a lot of people, uh, given the fact that we already have a teacher shortage in Minnesota. But the other thing that we learned, and this is why they're saying that, is that Um, Educators are stressed, they're overwhelmed, they're frustrated, um, they're worried about their own mental health, and this all has to do with the unsustainable workload and expectations of teaching in a pandemic. In terms of what some of the folks surveyed said were some of the main reasons for their stress, did they have specific reasons for for why it's so difficult among this pandemic to try to make things work? Yeah, a couple of things. One is a lack of the necessary resources, whether it's um, the lack of the number of staff required to do teaching and learning safely, Um, or it might be just a lack of general supplies um, that are needed to reopen safely. You know, we have a number of um, educators who are teaching um, in a hybrid model, and they are actually doing two or three jobs, some of them. Um, They have uh, in-person teaching assignments. They have teaching assignments uh, for uh, distance learning. Um, And then they may have, um, uh, you know, kind of an in-between, like a a hybrid. Um, So when you think about trying to plan for three different jobs, that's very difficult. They're not given any extra time. Um, You know, there are a lot of, they want to do a really good job. And I think that's the other thing that I um, hope that uh, we can talk about is, you know, we've said all along, the learning model that, um, you know, students and staff are going to be in on day one of school is not going to be um, and probably shouldn't be the same learning model that they're in, in on day 45. And we're getting up there just because of the rapidly changing environment and the changes in numbers. Um, we need to be flexible. And so what we hope is that school districts and staff will, uh, you know, change, change course. We need some course corrections here. We need some accommodations and modifications on what's going on. And as important as it is to consider the mental health of the educators, which is, of course, very important, I assume that this has to in some ways have an impact on their students as well. Can you address that? Absolutely. Um, You know, unmet mental health needs were um, at an all-time high before covid and we certainly know that um, that hasn't changed. We're very worried about the unmet needs of our students, in particular the mental health needs, which is why we absolutely need to have um, enough 
staff to help address those those ongoing needs of our students. Um, we have a HEROES Act that should be passed at um, the federal government level, um, and it's been solved. You know, if that if that was passed, that would bring much needed resources to all of our school districts so that they could ensure that they have the right support systems for students and staff alike. And tell me, what do you think we need specifically to do moving forward, Denise, to to try to reverse course on this? Um, obviously, it's a long school year, so what what can we do in the immediate future to try to change this? Right. I would say that um, the biggest thing that we, we would like to see is districts involving parents and staff at all levels of decision-making. Um, you know, the, the parents and the staff are the ones that are, you know, closest to the teaching and learning of the students from a day-to-day basis. So including uh, staff and parents and students would be number one. The other is that we definitely need school districts to be sitting down uh, with their staff and um, opening up negotiations around what is needed to be uh, doing this work safely in a pandemic. Lastly, we need to just remove all unnecessary tasks from educators' plates. Uh, this is not business as usual, and we can't pretend that that should be, uh, you know, the norm. So let's take a look at what are the essential tasks for st- students and staff and uh, make sure that those are happening. The take off the extra, um, we don't have to be doing some of the things that we're being asked to do because we should be attending to, you know, we want educators attending to the needs of the students. But when they're being asked to do some of the extra things that really don't need to be happening during a pandemic, it's adding to that stress and workload. Is there anything about the governor's handling of how we went back to school that uh, that you would say maybe needs an improvement since we now have this information from teachers talking about how stressful it's been? I know that the decision is mainly up to the districts in terms of what they're going to do, but is there is there something maybe from a legislative or from the governor's standpoint that you think should be done differently? Well, I think there are a few things that can be done, um, and some of them have to be legislative. So we know that some of the corrections or the course corrections, as I said earlier, actually need to be legislated because so many of so many things are mandated by the state of Minnesota. So I realize that, you know, it may may take a while there. I mean, here's a simple example, teacher evaluations, you know, that those are mandated by state. We think that they are important. We would never say that we shouldn't be evaluating staff and how they're working. But um, when you think about how uh, teaching and learning is happening right now, what are we evaluating, you know, people on? Is it the technology that is very new that, you know, staff got very little training for? Um, you know, is it how to run a class on Zoom? Again, not a lot of preparation there. Um, you know, is that absolutely necessary? But that would require a legislative fix. I would also say that, you know, doing uh, teaching and learning safely does require a lot of resources. I know that that's not exactly popular, but when you um, are looking at lowering class sizes, making sure enough people are on staff to clean uh, buildings to make sure that you've got enough supplies, that does take a considerable amount of resources. And I realize that 
you know, that isn't all on Governor Walls in the state of Minnesota. Um, but we do need to be talking about resources necessary to be doing teaching and learning safely for the long haul. Thank you to my guest, Education Minnesota President Denise Speck. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Tim Veldy is a Minnesota farmer from Henley Falls and director on a rural electric co-op board. Rural electric co-ops were formed to provide electricity to rural Minnesota when no one else would do it and have now gone into trying to get broadband across rural Minnesota. Small businesses and students rely on it, especially now. When Congress put all that at risk with a tax law that ended up hurting rural communities, Senator Smith was the first person we went to. Senator Smith listened to us, understood our problem, crafted a bill and got it passed and signed into law with bipartisan support. Senator Smith was instrumental in saving economic development for rural Minnesota families. Senator Smith is great to work with. She wants to understand the problem. She wants to fix the problem. I'm Tina Smith, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Paid for by Tina Smith from Minnesota. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. In less than a month, the Salvation Army Red Kettles will be out, and MNN reporter J.W. Cox says the Army hopes the annual holiday fundraiser will be a success. They know 2020 will be a challenge like never before. Scott, for Brian Malahan with the Salvation Army of the North, the importance of this year's Red Kettle Drive starts with the demand. The volume of people in need is like nothing I've ever seen in my entire career. It's just unprecedented. So, Brian, with that kind of demand, what will the Red Kettle campaign look like in terms of reach and volume of kettles this year compared to prior years? My hope is is that we get close to that. Um, We are still waiting on a couple of national agreements to come through. And so if if there's a, a retailer that has stores across the nation, those negotiations and and communications are handled through our national headquarters in Virginia. So far, locally, um, all of the stores that had ringers at kettles last year will have kettles again this year. So I think we'll actually end up close to the 900. It'll be a little less, but I'm hoping that the actual number of locations is pretty similar. We are concerned that we're going to see a drop-off in the number of volunteers because we've already been hearing from a lot of the local corporations that they're not they're not willing to even promote to their employees to go out and volunteer because of just concerns over an outbreak within the company and, and what that could do to their ability to, you know, fulfill their business. And so we're working with churches and some of the colleges and just trying to get creative with, okay, how can we get more volunteers that are willing to go out and stand at a kettle and and practice all of the appropriate safety measures? But yeah, hoping for um, enough volunteers to man all of the locations. What else is the Army doing to try and limit the negative impact on overall giving this year at the Red Kettles? So we, we're trying to get the word out earlier than ever this year. Uh, What we've seen since the start of this pandemic, we've seen foot traffic at 
retail locations plummet. At the same time, digital spending has skyrocketed. People are carrying around less cash. And so combine that also now with some some stores not wanting a kettle in front of their business because they've got restricted ways of entering and exiting stores. And so all of that to say is we're expecting that kettles, which are a huge fundraiser and raise the dollars for all the services we provide, could take a really big hit this year. And so we're working to get the word out early to say, one, we've got digital giving options, digital kettles, if you will, uh, the ability for people to to give safely and from a distance and without contact. We'll still have our kettle locations out there. There are going to be thousands of them out across the country. But we really do expect it to look different this year. How well did the 2019 kettle campaign serve as a trial run of sorts for those alternative giving options? You know, we were we were pleased with the results. It was interesting that it didn't raise huge money last year, but there were a lot of new donors that came from it. And so what, what it kind of tells me is people kind of tested it out last year. With the pandemic, um, I think we have a great foundation to see that just skyrocket. So we'll have text-to-give options. We've got the QR codes. We've got the bump technology again, which is Google Pay and Apple Pay. QR codes and that bump pay will be on every single kettle that you see across the entire nation. But I think we're going to see significant increases in people taking advantage of those contactless options. Finally, Brian, as you make a pitch to find bell ringers earlier than ever this year, what is the message about the safety of doing this in the midst of COVID-19, maybe for people that are lower risk for whatever reason and could potentially fill this crucial volunteer need? You know, you, you said it perfectly. You know, there, there are folks out there that are not necessarily at has greater risk or vulnerability as others. And that would be the call to action that I would put out there. Um, we're requiring face masks at all of the kettles. Um, all of the kettles will be sanitized every day. Um, we've got appropriate protocols in place around social distancing. And so I would absolutely uh, put a call out to your listeners. The need is greater than it's ever been. The words that I use when I talk about our service levels to people are unprecedented. It's epic. To volunteer as a bell ringer, visit SalvationArmyNorth.org. Kettles scheduled to go out November 13th. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. How can your family safely celebrate Halloween during a pandemic? Tasha Radel looks into some fun alternatives. Thanks, Scott. Joining me today is Dr. Beth Thielen, an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School and a physician with M Health Fairview. Dr. Thielen, Halloween is a couple of weeks away, and due to the COVID-19 pandemic, things are going to look a lot different across the state. 
How do we stay safe while celebrating Halloween during a pandemic? I think we're all trying to grapple with how we can um, sort of still maintain connectivity and traditions that are really, you know, really important to everyone. I think all the more so now when we're all struggling, um, you know, with the feeling isolated, sort of missing out on things that we're not doing. And so I, you know, I, I'm a pediatrician. I like to kind of try to think of the, the bright spot in, in things and try to think about ways to, to frame this in a positive situation. And so, you know, what I, when I talk with, with families and, and, patient, and patients and children, you know, I really like to think, like, how can we think about Halloween in a way that focuses on the things that we can still do that are really fun and are ways to connect with people and maybe be a little creative this year about some new ways to approach that. And so, you know, I think, you know, things that we worry about the most as, a, as ways of spreading this virus are sort of having direct face-to-face with, with contact with people and, and being in close proximity, and particularly being in close proximity to large numbers of people. And, you know, if you think about it that way, trick or, traditional trick-or-treating is sort of a, it, it sort of combines all of these aspects that we kind of are, are things that we're trying to avoid right now. Um, and so, you know, I think thinking about it is, well, how can we still have fun and connect with people without doing that? So, you know, some suggestions might be, you know, you could, you know, have have um, a party at your own house and sort of do the decorations within your own household and then maybe have a, you know, a neighborhood where people walk around and look at look at from a distance, look at people's carved pumpkins or decorations or things like that. You know, how could you, you know, what are ways you can kind of organize with a community of friends and families or neighbors to try to, you know, pick a time to celebrate together, but do it in a more, you know, in a more socially, you know, physically distanced uh, way. Um, And, you know, doing, focusing on, you know, within households, maybe, you know, everybody in their different households bakes some cookies or cakes, and then you get it on Zoom call and share them um, with your, you know, loved ones. Or, you know, maybe you all schedule a time where you can watch a movie, you know, a scary movie together on Zoom. You know, so I think I, I really what I really want to try to encourage people to do is think of creative ways to maintain that social connection, but maybe in a safer way that's at a little bit more of a distance and not not doing those activities that we think are highest risk. So kind of what I'm hearing is that door-to-door trick-or-treating is not being recommended this year. Well, yeah, so I think that's generally true. And and I would say most of, you know, what I'm talking with you about today is, is sort of in alignment with what the CDC's recommendations are for Halloween. Um, and so I think it's really about risk reduction this year. And, you know, I think everybody kind of makes can make will need to make choices for themselves and their families about how the best way is to kind of observe these recommendations. But I think it, where possible, we're encouraging people not to do the direct face-to-face trick-or-treating. Um, and, you know, if it's, if it's feasible to not, you know, share, just have goodies within your own household, that's great. Um, and if folks really want to do some kind of exchange, you know, maybe things like having having um, prepackaged goodie bags made up and sort of left at the end of the driveway or, you know, on the door, you know, someplace outside and just left for people's kids to pick up, that might be a safer way of sort of minimizing that direct face-to-face contact and the sort of touching of uh, the risk of, like, when you reach into that goodie, you know, that, that Halloween pumpkin and take out your candy, you know, you're reaching into a place where, you know, dozens of other kids may have may have been before you. And so really just being a little bit thoughtful about how are the ways that we can minimize those direct contacts um, where, where we might spread germs. Lots of good information today, Dr. Thielen. Thanks again for your time. And to all you ghosts and goblins out there, be safe this Halloween and do your part to help slow the spread of COVID-19. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. 
You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota football team has begun an in-house program in an attempt to fight racism titled Help End Racism Through Education, or HERE. Golden Gopher head coach P.J. Fleck explains the goal is simple but emotional. Here's Gopher coach P.J. Fleck with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. Our players did such an amazing job with this. Uh, you know, we had a team meeting the other day to kind of kick off this initiative, this campaign that I hope our, a lot of our fans get behind and kind of see what our players wear and have and will support um, this initiative that really is about ending all racism, you know, and I think this is critical. Our team had a team meeting for about two hours the other, uh, the other night. 35 guys got up and told their story about how they were affected by racism. And we've done this, but we didn't do this as an intimate setting. We have done things through Zoom, but this was way different. And to hear stories from our players that maybe some I knew, some I didn't know. Some of the ways, different things that I would never know affected somebody a certain way. I saw it differently when when they speak in person and share certain stories that they've had in their life. All players, uh, not just African-American players. It was white players. It was white coaches. It was black coaches. It was just a family that all came together to do something that was way bigger than all of us. This is the generation that can end racism. There's extremes in everything and of every topic we all talk about. There's an extreme over here and a stream over here. We talk about, hey, we're going to start in the middle and work our way all the way out with how we're going to end racism. And we want to be the example. We want to make sure racism is a thing of the past, not towards the future. And, and our players get a chance to do that as they raise their own children, is make people aware now, but also as they go into their lives and have daughters and sons and, and have a wife that, uh, and a significant other, they can be able to raise them as blank slates and raise them maybe in a way that they weren't raised, to be able to believe certain things from a very young age. And I think that was the biggest thing we took from that is how we're going to be able to create change into the future by raising their own families. You mentioned it was emotional, too. There were some times where, uh, where, where these stories caught you. Yeah, very emotional. I mean, uh, the, every single one of these players are like our sons. And when you hear their hurt in their voice from things that happened when they were 8, 9 years old, uh, when they were 16 years old, uh, maybe two weeks ago, uh, your heart just hurts. Uh, because you never want to see your children hurt. You never want to see your child hurt or go through any type of pain, mentally, physically, or emotionally. And when you see that it's a spectrum of all of it, it really hurts your heart. And so this is, uh, this is something very real. This is something that's here. And this is something that we need to be the example of how we're going to change and how we treat people. And this is uh, what our players feel very passionately about. And I'm glad that they have the maturity to be able to put something like this forward. 
Who are the guys leading the cause here on your roster? I think a guy like Micah Dude Treadway, Ben St. Juice. You look at Seth Green, Rashad Bateman, Tanner Morgan. Again, it's going to take all of us. It's not just one race. It's going to take every single person treating people as people, period, right? And treating everyone equally and fairly. And this is, this is something that's bigger than all of us. But those are guys who have been very uh, Coney Durr. This was Coney Durr's idea. Maybe not the here, but we need more education in our society. And I think, you know, Seth Green brought it up to me. He goes, Coach, Coach, like, how many uh, uh, African-American teachers have you had in your life? And as I went through, I was like, you know, I, I haven't had any. It put it everything in perspective for me. I got education from one point of view or one textbook or whatever it was. This is about educating our players as people, as husbands, as fathers, as human beings, right? As a race of humanity. How are we going to be able to know what racism is, what it looks like, all forms of it, and how are we gonna change it? And we need to be educated. At times, what racism is, times in our country, what did it look like? How can you identify it? How can you step in and help? And Coney Durr was all about having education is the answer. Not just empathy, but education. And that's where we came up with E-R-E means was, stop, before. And then we put the here, the H, for helping because George Floyd was killed here. And so that's what the whole here campaign is. We all need to help end racism through education. And we all need education. And we all need to listen. It's not just listening. It's listening to how you can educate yourself. How you can make yourself better. How you can make somebody else around you better. And how you can know where we've always been to now know where we should go. You know, locker rooms have, it, it's kind of a, a microcosm, maybe. You know, when you're in the locker room, there's still sometimes disagreements, right? But they're, at the end of the day, it, to use your slogan, you, you end up trying to roll the boat together even through some differences. And that can kind of be, uh, you know, a microcosm of society in general as, as sports teams sometimes lead the way with this. Well, I think the, the perfect way to look at, look at what society should look like is just open the door and look inside a locker room. There's going to be disagreements. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody comes from the same background. Not everybody has the same religion. Not everybody has the same beliefs. Not everybody's the same age. Not everybody's the same size. Not everybody's the same color. Not everybody comes from the same economical background. Not everybody comes from the same educational background. You put them all in a room and you got to go find a way to win together. Together. Not divide them. Together. Look what's going on in our society right now. Okay. And I'm not getting political with anybody, but I guess I am. <laughs> Everything we do, we have to pick a side. It, it, it's crap. I, I hate that. Everything we do, we have to pick a side. Everything's becoming political in, a, in an election year. Everything. Things that shouldn't be political are political now. So the purest form of life in our world, in our world, I'm not saying the real world, right? I'm saying in our world is the locker room. Forget about me. I love you. We're going to do it together. We're going to row the boat together. You might have different views. I might have different views. We might argue. We might go against each other in practice. I might beat the living crap out of you for two plays, and then you're going to beat the living crap out of me. But we're going to walk off the field hand in hand, arm in arm, as teammates, as brothers, as family. That's what the world should look like. How? Why is it so hard? Like, I, I just don't know why, the hell, why, it's, why it's that hard. And we can learn so much by just looking into a locker room. And we want to be the example of what it looks like with us. And that's what the whole Here campaign's about. That's Gopher head coach P.J. Fleck with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.